0: morning church welcome to our neighbors Uh, happy autumn Um, and if you are like me happy allergies again I'm sure you were all excited and you you felt like you missed that in your life Um, something about the turn this week release whatever pollen I'm allergic to and so I'm like uh, all right I'm glad to be with you this morning. We are uh, in a series called Values, and this week um, I think will challenge us in in some some different ways. It's actually where we get to the value statement of values, uh, where the rubber meets the road. And I think it reveals to us a lot, very quickly, uh, about where we are and about what we care about. So I'm excited to, to share that with you. I wonder if perhaps you share the same observation that I do, that my life would be much, much easier if everybody else around me would stop being so selfish. I got an amen on that one. So our lives would be so much better if everybody around us would be selfish. Doesn't it seem like when we're born into the world, we are geared towards focusing in on ourselves and what we need and what we want? Um, those of you who have raised children, you know that you don't have to teach them uh, to be self-centered. Uh, in, in some ways, it seems like we, we are born with a mirror that just looks at us, and all we want to do is figure out how to meet our needs, right? The next layer of that, though, is where we come into problems. Like we're focused on ourselves and we're trying to meet our needs in the ways that we think is best. And yet that doesn't always work out the way that we want it to. And sometimes we get ourselves into trouble and things don't go good when we are being selfish, right? But the next layer of that becomes if things aren't going good in my life, now I'm going to blame God and hold Him responsible for the things that are going poorly in my life. Is this just my experience? Like, have, have you, uh, let's ask this Have you seen that in another person's life? I, I won't ask you to be reflective yet, but have you seen that in another person's life? Where they're making selfish decisions, and the selfish dece- decisions lead to consequences that they didn't necessarily want. So they end up having to deal with these consequences, and as they're trying to deal with them, they put the blame on God for their selfish decisions. Have we seen that in others? We don't don't have to talk about us yet. We'll get to us, but what about in other people? There's a passage in Scripture that I'd like to take you to that really addresses this in a really direct way, and it's going to open us up to look at... um, what our values are, and, and particularly the fifth value that we're exploring together in this series. But as, as we, uh, we'll pray together, and then we'll turn, if that's all right. So before we turn there, I just ask for you to pause together with me, and if you would pray with me as we open. I'm going to open up and, 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 and pray, uh, I'll say freestyle. Um, but it's been our habit to pray together the disciples' prayer, and so as I get to that point, I just invite you to pray together with me. If you'd like to pray out loud, that's fine. Um, But uh, let's do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for this morning, for the gift of breath as we woke up and the gift of strength as we got out of bed this morning. Lord, there are so many things that we're quick to, to take for granted. And so, God, today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn our attention away from ourselves. That you would show us just how good you are in new ways. And Lord, as we see that, as we see your goodness, would you grow in us a heart that is honoring to you? Lord, we pray together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you turn with me to James Chapter One, the Book of James, Chapter One. If you want to use these blue Bibles that are here uh, in uh, on your chairs, it's going to be on page twelve fifty-five, James Chapter One, and I'm going to begin in verse twelve. This is a short letter, um, but it's immensely practical. James was a guy that really didn't want you to just know a bunch of important things, but he wanted you to know what you were supposed to do with the information that you had. So this letter is short, and it's, it's really, really practical. And tradition tells us, uh, the, the most consistent tradition tells us that this James that's writing is actually a half-brother of Jesus. So if you can imagine, uh, I, I don't know if you've had sibling rivalry before, but if you can imagine um, growing up in the same house as literally the son of God, <clears throat> and what kind of pressure that has to, to put on your family strains, This guy grew up with Jesus, rejected him, the biographies about Jesus tell us, rejected him and said, no, he's crazy, he's lost his mind. Um, And then, as he saw what was happening, turned to believe that what Jesus said about himself was actually true. So... I can probably convince a couple of you people something about me because we don't live in the same house. It's another thing to convince somebody who's lived in the same house with you and grown up with you that what you're saying is true. Uh, I think the letter of James is a great testimony to the truth of the gospel, that Jesus was the Son of God and that he came to, to, to save us. So James writes in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers." Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we'll pause there. Um, what's fascinating about this, and, and, and kind of where we've started, is that we will oftentimes make self-centered decisions and then be frustrated at the outcomes of those and then find a way to justify our behavior and to blame God. James says, look, God's not responsible for evil. God's not the one to blame for um, evil in your life. Like, you can't hold him responsible. That's, that's uh, in verses 13 through 15. That's what he's saying. Like, God's not the one who's responsible for evil. Um, it's your own desires, and your own desires, when they're caved into, leads to sin. And sin ultimately leads to death, which is why Jesus says, hey, this is your primary problem. You think you've got all of these other problems in your life. Your primary problem is actually your sin, and I came to deal with that once and for all. You should probably trust me with that. So God is not to blame for evil. In verses 13 through 15, but God is the source of every good gift. God is the source of every good gift. Do not be deceived. If he has to say, do not be deceived, that means this is probably an area where we are tempted to be deceived and to believe something opposite. Do not be deceived, my, or my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. These verses are a salve in a world of selfish people who are looking to blame God for evil and yet want to dull um, the pain that they feel by gratifying their own selfish desires. God says, if there is anything good in the world, if there is anything perfect, if there is anything that you enjoy, if there's any happiness in your life, I need you to remember, do not be deceived, remember, every good gift comes from me. God's not the source of evil, but God is the source of good. Right? So, this is a very simple concept. It's easy to know, Uh, and to have those words in your head and to have that idea in your head, it's another thing to remember that on Tuesday. It's another thing to remember when stuff hits the fan at work and everything's falling apart and people are screaming at you for something that's not your fault, that God is not responsible for evil, I don't need to blame him, but anything that's good in my life comes from him. All right? Well, how do we know? How do we know? James gives us an example that we can base everything else off of. He says, Remember your salvation in verse 18. Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he's saying, You were dead, and God chose by himself, not because you asked him, not because you were a good person not because you, you, you had a magic formula that convinced him, not because we manipulated him, not because we pulled on his heartstrings enough that he felt compassion to change something in our lives. Of God's own will, he brought us forth. He brought us back to life by the word of truth. Jesus. He forgave the sin issue that we just talked about. He, he took the penalty for all of that on himself. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that we can be a prototype of what he is remaking in the world. Can we all agree that not everything is right in the world? The promise of Jesus is that I am making all things new, and the first evidence that Jesus is making all things new is the work that he's doing in your heart. So forgiveness is a starting point for us, all right? Jesus has forgiven us, and then we should also forgive other people. Now, wait a second, Michael. <laughs> I, I'm cool. Like, me and Jesus are all right. Like, I've, I've come and made my peace with Jesus. I'm all right if he forgives my sin. Not, like, super comfortable with it. Like, I'm a pretty bad person. I'm surprised that he would be so kind as to forgive me. Um, but Michael, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they stole. You don't know what, they, what kind of injury they did to me, and you want me to forgive them? Now, I'm not going to turn us there. Um, I'm going to give you a, a, a passage, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you places where I've talked about it in the last couple of years, because this is actually a concept that we've revisited together as a congregation a number of times. Um, in Matthew chapter 18, in verses 21 through 35, Um, Jesus tells a story. And we talked about this story. uh, We had a sermon series that was just called Forgiving. And this was the second, uh, I think it was the second sermon in that um, sermon series, Forgiving, from May 2020. So we were in the middle of the pandemic. If you watch the sermon video, it's kind of strange because I'm not in here. I'm in the other room. And it was a hard time. But the content is good, and, and the passage that we talk about is really important. The story that Jesus tells is, is, goes something like this. He says, there was a servant who owed a debt to a king. And it was, a lifetime's, worth, it was a, a lifetime's worth of debt. It was more money that he owed than he could ever possibly pay off in his lifetime. And the king came to collect the debt, and the guy said, I don't have it. And the king says, all right, well, you know, I'm gonna throw you in jail, you know, whatever. And the guy says, please have mercy. The king says, I forgive your debt. So this guy who has an immense debt that he could not ever repay, is unreasonable to expect that he could ever repay, billions of dollars by today's standards. And the king says, I forgive the debt. I no longer hold it against you. You are no longer responsible to work and to pay me back the debt that you owed. It's forgiven cool. That sounds great. What the guy does then is he turns around and he goes to somebody who owes him money. And he says, hey, I need you to give me my money back. He owes you know, a, a, a monthly wage. It's not, it's not very significant, a paycheck or two. And the guy says, uh, I don't have it with me. If you'll give me some extra time, I'll get the debt and, I'll, and I will repay you. And the guy shakes him and says, no, 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 you're going to rot in prison until you pay me back. This small debt that he reasonably could repay, he holds him uh, accountable for it and throws him in prison. And the king catches word that the one whom has been forgiven an insurmountable debt is holding another person responsible for a reasonable amount of debt. He says, this is incongruent. These things do not match. You must forgive... To the degree that you have been forgiven. We must forgive as we are forgiven. We also talked about this idea um, in our series that we went through earlier this year called Teach Us to Pray. um, Going through Matthew chapter 6 and the disciples' prayer. Because we talked about forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we talked about that forgiveness isn't simply just a relational forgiveness, a restorative forgiveness, but there is a financial image behind that. Forgive our debts. Forgive us what we owe in the way that we forgive other people who owe us. This this horizontal relationship that we have with other people impacts how we relate with God. They're not isolated from one another. They go together. And Jesus really wants us to grasp a hold of that. All right. This is a lot of Bible knowledge that I've kind of thrown into you. Like, okay, how do we? Like, I need something to grab onto. Okay, here's something to grab onto. I can illustrate this very quickly with French fries. <clears throat> I, I need you to see that unforgiveness and resentment is, is is wired into our heart, and I can show you that by French fries. What happens? You go to a restaurant. You go with a friend. We'll say your beloved Jesse. May I use you as an example? I'll take my beloved uh to her i don't know what her her favorite french fries are but they look something like this they got that seasoning and they're well salted that's the key to good french fries is the degree of salt french fries i because i love her have taken her to this restaurant and i have paid and i have gotten her some french fries and i give them to her as a gift i want to bless my beloved right and i say to her after we've sat down may i have some fries Now, she's, she's very kind and she's very gracious, and I'm sure that she would share. But on hearing that question, what happens in our hearts? Like, put yourself in her seat. What happens in your head? What happens in your heart if somebody asks you for some french fries? Those are my fries. Why don't you buy your own fries? You said, <laughs> We're here. You ordered. You could have gotten fries. You chose to get onion rings or whatever you chose to get. But I, I wanted fries and I got fries. And our response is no. You can't have any fries? Now, Jesse wouldn't say that. She'd be like, oh, uh, of course. But that uh, that hesitation is what's actually happening in our heart. We are okay with receiving gifts, but we assume that the gifts we receive are for us. And even if the giver of the gift were to ask us for a portion of the gift in return, our default response is, No! get your own. She did not pay for the fries. She did not order them. She did not carry them to the table. And yet, when they're on the table and presented to her, and somebody asks her for some French fries, she says, I don't know, you're asking a lot. Now, that's kind of a silly illustration, and, and Jessie is much more gracious than I have depicted her to be. <clears throat> but, but the principle is the same. We will receive things and then not be willing to share them. And yet... God's desire for us is to have a heart which shares the gifts that he has given. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. French fries come as a gift from the Father of lights. And yet they're given to us, they're entrusted to us that we might be a blessing to the world. This is our our fifth value. We hold God's gifts with open hands. God gives each of us resources, experiences, and abilities So we share them with generously with others. We hold God's gifts with open hands. God gives each of us resources, experiences, and abilities, so we share them generously with others. Now, this principle um, actually shows up repeatedly in Scripture. And so what I'm gonna do in, in the rest of the time that I have here, I'd like to show it to you in one passage in particular. Um, because of the way that it's nestled uh, with some other values. So we're going to be able to do some review by looking at this one particular passage. So we'll talk about that in Ephesians chapter 4 in a minute. And then after that, I w- I'll show you other places where this shows up in Scripture by means of helping us to wrap our head around applying this, okay? So that's what we're going to do with the rest of the time that we have here. We're going to look together at Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're going to look at uh, kind of a flyover overview of, of this in the rest of Scripture. Okay, we good? So navigate with me to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Um, It's on page 1219, if you're using the Blue Bibles here. And I'm going to begin in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. And this is actually the next section after... Um, what we talked about a couple weeks ago. So we've talked about the first half of Ephesians chapter four in journeying together. And now here, we're going to talk about the second half in um, holding God's gifts with open hands. All right, so Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous And holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we'll pause there. Uh, This passage is, is, is fascinating. It comes kind of towards the end of the letter. And so we're at the beginning of the letter. Um, the pastor there is trying to explain some theological principles and trying to help us understand our relationship with God. Here in this section, he's starting to take what's theological and make it practical. Like, okay, if I know about my forgiveness with Jesus... What does that mean for me on on Thursday? Like, how do I actually live my life? And so he says, "I, I say this now and testify that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's just saying, for people who are far from God, you were far from God, and now you're not far from God, so don't keep living your life as though you were far from God. There's a time where you acted as though you were the God of your life, and now that you've acknowledged that you're not the God of your life, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, then that changes how you live your life. Right, so don't continue to walk in that way. Uh, The Gentiles are alienated, or they're they're darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They're they're far away from God. They can't hear what He's saying. God will still pursue them and will still work on them, but right now they're separated. They're callous and giving themselves over to all evil kinds of practices. But that is not the way you learned Christ, He says assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, when I heard this passage um, and, and, and the first couple of times that I went through it, the picture that came to mind was a jacket, if I'm going to take off the old life and I'm going to put on the new life, I thought, like, what he's talking about is clothing, right? What he's talking about is, is an outward expression. It's something that's visible to everybody else. So I have to take off the part of myself that looked like a heathen, and now I have to put on my church clothes, right? But I don't think that that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, I want you to walk... As somebody who is following Jesus and so my life is built around the work that I can do the shoes that I'm wearing are work boots he says look if you're going to continue to work as though you need to earn your salvation then you have misunderstood the example that's been set for you I'm asking you to take off your labor I'm asking you to put aside Yourself being in charge of your life, and you are the one that's directing it. I'm asking you to lay those things aside and walking in wickedness and dirt and filth and muck, lay those things aside. Don't walk like you used to walk. Don't trudge through the earth as if everybody owes you something. But acknowledge that you have received Christ, that there's a good and perfect gift that comes from the father of lights that is easy to wear whose burden is light the work has been finished and now we walk in the newness of life it's not an outward ex- it's not an outward it's not just because they look nicer it's not just taking off your work clothes and putting on your church clothes But it's a declaration of the type of ministry I'm going to do. It's a declaration of the type of work I'm going to do. I don't have to do the work of earning my salvation. I've received it as a gift. And I walk in it securely, knowing that God in Christ has forgiven me. And if I have been forgiven then I can extend that same forgiveness to other people. But you have to put Jesus first. We center everything on his love and grace because he alone has set us free. Every conversation that we have, every time we punch into work, am I putting Jesus first? Am I working as though I work for the Lord and not for man? And I don't work for the Lord as, a, as an angry taskmaster trying to whoop all the work out of me that he can get, but as a gracious, loving Father who really wants me to do well and really wants to accomplish good work in an evil world through me. Am I putting Jesus first? He goes on and says, therefore, having put away falsehood, so we're not going to walk, we're not going to just say whatever feels good, we're not going to lie to one another, we're going to put away falsehood, we're going to speak, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Speak the truth. Remember, Jesus prayed, Lord, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. We trust the Bible, we We depend on scripture for our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through his word. We're going to speak the truth to one another. We're going to remind each other of the truths that are in God's word. We're not going to lie to one another and try to make each other feel better. We're going to encourage one another in what is true. That's the way we walk in Christ. Forgiving one another as we have been forgiven. Journeying together. This isn't something that we can do in isolation. We can't just go up on a mountaintop and spend time being Jesus. Like The life, the true life that Jesus has envisioned for us is one that is us working together as a family. You cannot love one another if there ain't no others to love. Which means we have to be patient with one another. Which means we're going to hurt one another's feelings. We're going to have to forgive one another. If Jesus tells you, forgive others, that means they will have offended you. And, and, and I know I know that if, as we come together, our picture of what church, a perfect church should be is that we're all saints and we all do the right thing all the time and nobody ever gets hurt. And yet, as we are saints, we are still on the earth. We still have need to be forgiven. And the wounds that we sustain from church people often hurt the worst. And that's why God encourages us over and over to love one another well and to journey together, to be committed to being that family together. We can't go it alone. Why? Because we're members of one another. This is what Pastor Ben shared with us last week, that we collaborate rather than compete. We're working together. The ministry that I have is part of something bigger I'm not alone. I'm not laboring by myself. Jesus has one body, and we're all on his team. We work together with others who are seeking his kingdom first. And we also hold God's gifts with open hands. God gives each of us resources, experiences, and abilities, so we share them generously. You see that right there in the middle in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. There's a subtle teaching here that I'd like to draw out for you. Um, a person that's far from Christ is somebody who's in need and who sees themselves as the only way of meeting that need. I have to work for this. I have to take care of it. If I don't do this, if I don't look out for number one, nobody's gonna look out for me. I, don't, I can't trust Jesus to do that. So being in need, they choose to steal. And so we would look at that and say, you need to stop stealing, you need to be self-sufficient. You need to work, on, and work so that you have enough to make your own ends meet like you got to get your get your stuff under control so that you can hold hold on to your own stuff and you can live the life that you want to live like that's our american dream right but that's not the vision that jesus has for us he doesn't just want us to be able to make ends meet he doesn't want us to just go from having a red checkbook to having a balanced checkbook he wants us to have a surplus and abundance why? So that we can level up and have a greater status? No, so that we might share with anyone who's in need. God gives us gifts so that we can share. We are conduits for the blessings that God has in the world. What, what's a conduit? It, just, it doesn't hold anything, it just carries it. And so we hold God's gifts with open hands. Um, there's kind of two questions that stem from this. Do we trust God to forgive us? So in having open hands, do we open them to receive what he's willing to give? God, will I or am I saying, no, I need to hold on to this, I need to hold on to that, I need to hold on to that, and we can't receive God's gifts that he wants to give to us. Do we trust that God can forgive us and is forgiving us? Do we receive the forgiveness of God? Um, there's, there's a church tradition, I've, I've, I've toyed with doing it sometimes, that when, um, uh, when they start a sermon or when they close a sermon, the people lift their hands together like this when they pray to say, God, give us what we need for the day. They do with their bodies what their heart is trying to communicate. And so will we receive what God is giving? And then, having received it, do we clench our fists and say, this is my blessing. I claim this. This is all for me. We said, "No, God, who who have you given this to me to share with?" Do we doubt that God enriches us? That every blessing comes from him? And having received it, do we hoard it? Now, um you're like, all right, Michael, Like, I get it. Generosity, cool. You need to get paid, right? <clears throat> That's not the heart behind this. So first thing I'll say is uh, my role here is bivocational at this time. So I have labored here um, for four years. I labored with no pay, and now this is technically a part-time job, and I work landscaping to support myself, too, like... My resources are not dependent upon what you guys give to the church. This isn't about me building myself up. I've tried to show you that this is a principle that comes from Scripture and that there's something God has for you in wanting to train you to be generous. This isn't me trying to train you to be generous. This is something I see over and over repeated in Scripture. It happens in the law. He teaches them over and over, you guys need to bring stuff to me to share with one another as an act of worship. Um, We look at those sacrifices and we go, What the heck is going on here? Why are all these animals bleeding all the time? What's the point? And Jesus is like, I need you to bring the animals, offer a sacrifice, and celebrate the work that I've done in your life and have a barbecue with everybody else in the community. I need you to share the good gifts that I've given you. It happens in the law, happens in the prophets, where over and over the prophets are, are, are critiquing the nation of Israel and saying, You took what I gave you and you hoarded it for yourself. You offered it to other gods. You abused the poor rather than taking care of people with the resources that I gave you, and these things I hold against you. He rebukes them for their self-centeredness, their self and building themselves up as opposed to being generous with the gifts that God gave. It happens in the law. It happens in the biographies about Jesus. Jesus over and over again teaches about money, and over and over again teaches, "Don't trust it. It's not reliable. Here today, gone tomorrow, and you have very little control over it. Much less control than we would anticipate. Anybody have retirement in 2008? (sighs) And it shows up in the letters, too. We've looked at the letters uh, to the Ephesians um, there are some other letters that's going to show up. So, um, but this is not just our financial resources. I'm not just talking about your paycheck. God gives each of us resources, so financial abilities, resources, um, houses, cars, whatever. These things are not yours to make your life better, uh, although you can enjoy them, but they are given to you and trusted to you that you might use them to be a blessing to other people. And I see this happening in the congregation all the time. Our experiences. There's so many times where we go into a room and we're like, I don't need to share my story. These people are better than me or they'll think less of me if I share my story. And yet, the experiences that God has brought you in are a gift that he has given you that you have a perspective on how to apply the scripture that other people in the room may not get. And if you keep your mouth shut, if you hoard your experiences to yourself, then you rob other people of being able to grow through what you have learned and abilities. Each of us has different skills. Um, I'm not mechanical. You do not want me to work on your car. It will be bad news for you. And yet I trust Wagner. You probably don't even want me to change your oil. (laughs) Jesse going testify. Every time I take a bicycle apart, it does not go back together. That's a simple machine. I should be able to do that. What I'm saying is I don't have the ability to do mechanical stuff, and yet God has given the abilities to mechanical people that are able to do that, yes, so that they can provide for their family, but also so that they can share those abilities with those who are in need. God gives us, and it's not just mechanics. There are other things that we have. There are other experiences that we have. There are other resources that we have, and all of them, every good gift, comes down from the Father of life's lights so that we may share them and be a blessing in the world. Do you feel like the world is dark? Do you feel like the world is broken and is full of evil? I don't know why. But God, in his wisdom, has chosen to do the good work that he wants to do in the world through you and me. Sure, he could send angels But he doesn't. Yes, he does heal people's bodies. But he often uses those who have had the the diligence to educate themselves and call themselves physicians. I don't know why, but God has chosen to do the good work that he wants to do in the world through us. Uh, It happens earlier in Ephesians, in in, in chapter 2, and I'm going, it's not in my notes, but uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says, uh, it's not by works, it's not with our work boots on that we are saved, we are saved by grace through faith so that no man may boast, and we are appointed for the good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. There is good work that needs to be done in the world, and God has set you up so that you are able to do it, and he's waiting for you to participate with him in that. It's not just money. Do we see all of life as a gift? Do we see all of life as a gift? Um, it's been a number of years ago now. Um, the, the, the New Testament wasn't written in English originally. Uh, the letters as they were written were written in, a, in, a, in, a, in an old ancient Greek language. <clears throat> and when we talk about communion... We're talking about taking the bread and the cup um, and, and celebrating, remembering what Jesus has done, the sacrifice that Jesus has done on our behalf in order to make us right with God. And he commands for us to do this as often as we do it in remembrance of him. The Greek word for that ceremony, you'll often hear it in, in um, some more higher liturgical uh, churches, is eucharisto. So sometimes you'll hear uh, Catholics or Lutherans saying, we're gonna take the Eucharist. They're, they're taking the Greek word. Eucharisto, and the word means thanksgiving. Do we see all of life as a gift? Do we practice gratitude? Or do we wait till the end of November to remember that we have a lot to be thankful for? Do we practice gratitude? Um, What if you wrote down five things every day? between now and thanksgiving. These are things that I'm thankful for. Um, six or seven days in, you're going to start to be like, I don't know what else to add. Like, I've thanked him for all the big things. And you're going to begin to see, you're going to have eyes to see the very little blessings that God continues to sprinkle throughout your life like well-seasoned french fries. Do we practice gratitude? Um, that shows up in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, look, you've got to You've got to practice gratitude. And it's based upon our understanding of how we have richly been forgiven. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, um, to store your treasures in heaven. Don't, don't store your treasures. Don't, don't build up all of your investments here on earth. Store your treasures in heaven. Invest in eternal things. We started in James, and actually one of the big things that James was written to address is is this idea of um, class, socioeconomic class within the community that James is writing to. So James will over and over come back to the idea of being rich and being poor, being rich and being poor. And I I almost, when I first drafted this sermon, was actually us going all the way through the book of James and tracking all of that. Um, It got to be too much, so I I changed it. The idea is throughout there. And he says one of the big ways that we mess this up is we begin to value people based upon their assets. Your worth is tied to what you own. And James is like, hey, don't do that. Don't make divisions between yourselves. Don't consider the rich person as a better person than the poor person. Don't make those divisions. Do not value people by their assets. Most explicitly, he says it in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And I'll close with this. A letter from from, uh, crazy Uncle John. Um, We call it 1 John. He writes to the churches there. He says, look, if it was easy to love, then Jesus wouldn't have to teach us to do it. Genuine love is moved to invest in others at a cost to yourself. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's lying. And if anyone says to his brother, go and be well, but does not share with him what he has, then he's fooling himself. Genuine love is moved to investment in other people at a cost to yourself. First, James, or First John three sixteen 16-18. And so, we hold God's gift with open hands. God has given each of us resources, experiences and abilities, so we share them generously with others. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word it cuts so deep. Even as I'm, I'm thinking through this message again, even as I'm sharing it again, you're bringing things to mind of areas that I've failed even in the last couple of weeks. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that we're selfish people. And we want to put you first. We want to forgive as you forgive. We want to be generous the way that you are forgiven, or that you are generous. And Lord, we can't do that by ourselves. We need you. God, maybe as we encounter this principle that's pushing on our hearts and, and, and we're realizing that we haven't trusted you even to forgive us. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us faith to trust you. To take that step of saying, Yes, Jesus, I don't understand it, but I trust you to forgive me and I wanna walk with you. I wanna put you first. I wanna follow you. And maybe some of us have walked with you a long time and, and we've allowed ourselves to forget these things. We've become callous to them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do your heart surgery on us, that you would help us to let go of the things that are not eternal to receive your good gifts freely and to share them generously with open hands. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but that your name might be glorified in all the earth. That your will would be done, the good work that you want done in the world would be accomplished even through our mortal hands by your spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. We'll take a few minutes and reflect on how God is, is, is speaking this morning. Um, if there's something you need to write down, then then please do that. Um, if there's a, a text message you need to send so, to somebody, or uh, now's the time to do it. But we'll just take a few minutes in, in, in quiet and reflect, spend some time in prayer um, before we close together in singing.